According to the CDC, over 37 million Americans are currently living with diabetes and an additional 96 million are pre-diabetic. With so many people affected by this disease, health plans should identify new ways to support members living with diabetes and prevent others from being diagnosed. A good place to start? Look at your digital care strategy and consider adding LARC. LARC is an artificial intelligence-based chronic condition prevention and management platform offering a variety of health and wellness and chronic condition care coaching programs, including diabetes prevention and diabetes management. LARC's Digital Diabetes Prevention Program is fully recognized by the CDC, and its latest study reveals its DPP members achieved an average of 5.3% weight loss within 12 months. LARC's programs are accessible right from your smartphone 24-7 and can significantly improve access to care by reaching underserved populations. Plus, it's infinitely scalable and cost-effective. Why wait? Schedule a demo or connect with LARC today. Visit www.lark.com or reach out to them directly at modernizecare@lark.com. That's L-A-R-K dot com. This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Matthew Risch, Senior Director of Finance, Planning, and Analytics for the North Carolina State Health Plan. Matthew, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks, Laura. Now, I know we have a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in healthcare, but before we dive into my questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. So, yeah, again, my name is Matt Risch, and I currently serve as the Senior Director of Finance, Planning, and Analytics for the North Carolina State Health Plan, which is a self-funded plan providing medical and pharmacy benefits to almost 750,000 members here in North Carolina and across the nation. Uh, which makes us one of the largest public plans in the country. And our members consist of all K through 12 public school teachers in the state, all state agencies, the state university system, which is 17 campuses, the community college system, which is, I believe, 58 campuses. We've got some local government entities, and then we've got about 250,000 retirees and, and the dependents for all of those groups. And, you know, our, our plan utilizes a third-party administrator or a TPA for the majority of our members, and we offer a, a Medicare Advantage program for our Medicare-eligible retirees, and, and there's about 200,000 participants in, in that plan. And it's, it's kind of interesting because our plan sits at an interesting intersection. We're, we're a public payer of health care services as we are predominantly funded by taxpayer dollars. But we sit on top of a commercial network um, through our TPA, which is currently Blue Cross of North Carolina. And, you know, our, our health plan is a division of the Department of State Treasurer. Uh, so we sit in the spaces of, you know, state government. We're a governmental payer of health care services, and, but we also operate in some regards like a commercial payer. Um, so it's just kind of a, a, an interesting uh, place where we sit. Um, prior to my current role, uh, the vast majority of my career was spent in varied financial leadership roles, primarily in the hospital setting, um, but also in practice management, behavioral health, and, and in the university setting. And I started as a financial analyst and a revenue analyst prior to getting into to those various finance leadership roles. I'm an Ohio native. I received my bachelor's in health services administration from Ohio University and, and my MBA from Cleveland State University. And I've been fortunate enough to spend time in the Chicago and the Cleveland, Ohio markets, um, and now happily in the Triangle area of North Carolina. 
That's wonderful. And given your background, it seems like you have just had so many different views of healthcare. And um, so I'm excited for our conversation. And given everything we've been through over the last few years with the pandemic and then looking in where the economy is at today and where healthcare organizations, health systems, as well as payers find themselves, what issues are you spending most of your time on? What's really front of mind for you? Yeah, so there's 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 two main fronts, I would say, where I spend most of my time today. And, and those are, you know, number one, funding strategy. And number two, alternative payment models slash cost containment for the payment of medical and, and pharmacy services. On the, the funding strategy side, you know, obviously, uh, anybody that's paying attention knows that healthcare costs have risen dramatically for years and, and frankly, decades at this point. And as a publicly funded plan, the funding levels that, that our health plan receives is not always on par with the rise in costs. Over the last six years or so, uh, our plan saw an average funding increase of approximately 4% a year from the North Carolina General Assembly. Um, however, blended trends for medical and pharmacy have been in the neighborhood of 7% or so. So obviously the math doesn't you know, really work within those parameters and projections are showing significant and mounting operating losses over the next five years, if, if not addressed. So we've been crafting a funding strategy to present to the General Assembly to meet the plans immediate and, um, and the longer term needs, you know, kind of the five year needs, so to speak. And we're fortunate here in North Carolina that the business and economic climate has been very strong, been recognized as the best state for business here recently. As a result, the state government is, is in a very positive financial position, which is, which is great. Uh, however, the economic clouds, it, it kind of, as you mentioned, um, that had been on the horizon are now arriving as, as we see here and read about every day. So that funding strategy is, is certainly an area where, where I find myself spending a lot of time and the rest of our team here. Um, on the alternative payment models uh, slash cost containment front, prior to COVID, the plan had embarked on a journey to lower costs. And again, as a publicly funded plan, State Treasurer Dale Falwell believed it, it was really imperative that the plan be treated as a publicly funded plan and not as a commercial payer. Um, we created a reference-based pricing plan with Medicare as the reference to attempt to lower costs and then the cost curve going forward. Uh, this effort received a lot of attention both locally and nationally and, and the hospital community largely boycotted that effort. Uh, the intention was to combat the impacts of, of hospital pricing that is largely driven by the vast consolidation that's occurring in our state, um, certainly as it is in other states as uh, well. And, you know, we desired at the same time to also positively impact rural healthcare, independent providers and hospitals, and, and behavioral health. Um, and to that end, we, we did accomplish that goal. Um, we now have a North Carolina State Health Plan network that is reimbursed on a Medicare uh, reference-based pricing model. There's more than 27,000 providers and, and there's a few hospitals in, in that network. Like I said, the large systems pretty much stayed away and, and they do continue to see our members under the commercial network. Today. So, you know, kind of as a result of all that, we're, we're now in a position where we're trying to find alternative payment models that achieve the goals of 
reduced healthcare spend in order to protect the long-term solvency of the plan. It's a, a pretty important goal. And to, at the same time, improve quality and outcomes uh, for our members. And again, those members are the people that serve and protect and educate here in our state. And, and so it's, it's a worthy cause. Yeah, absolutely. That That's fantastic. And, you know, really looking at how you can grow and develop those um, those services that are so important to the communities, I think is really important uh, for any organization. And so when you look at some of the things that they're needing um, from providers, as well as the behavioral health side, what types of investments does that take? What do you really see as being an important part of doing that and really turning those ideas and, and uh, whatnot into action? Yeah, so, um, you know, the, I think it's really consistent with some of the previous comments. You know, we're trying to invest in uh, provider and, and facility reimbursement models that are cost conscious and incentivize the right behaviors from both our members and the, the community, um, the provider community, rather. And one of the things I'm really excited about right now is we're we're working through a pilot with a large multi-specialty provider on a full risk uh, or capitation model. Uh, and this is exciting because it's a way to evaluate a model that is not a fee-for-service model, right? I mean, we, I think we all know that, that those fee-for-service models don't always align with providing care in the, the quote-unquote right way, you know, because it in- incentivizes volume over quality. And so <laughs> as a state agency, we're not always – known for being real nimble. Uh, so it's exciting that we're, we're trying something new there. And I'd say we're in about the seventh inning of, of rolling that out. So I don't want to say too much more, but, uh, but I am very excited about, you know, what's coming with this pilot and, and certainly with this provider partner. Um, so that's an area certainly where we're, we're investing, you know, time and energy and, and dollars to, to try and Again, find find a way that is is different from the status quo that we know is not achieving the results that we want to achieve and and is not the right financing model um, for the long term. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, too, when you look into the future, how are you thinking about growth and investment over the next two years or so? Yeah. Yeah, it's really kind of in those types of, of models where we're, you know, f- trying to find those those models that, that will work for, for the long term. It's different than this and all that. We've we've been investing um, in our data warehouse, and, and that's that's a key uh, component of my role is, is that I oversee our data analytics program. And we've been working on this data warehouse over the last several years. Um, that's supported by a great team of business intelligence developers, and we've um, we're at an exciting point in that evolution where we're using that really powerful tool for the types of things that I've been talking about here today, which is you know the pilot program, evaluating costs, evaluating funding, uh, modeling results, those types of things, and and our data analytics team is working alongside our financial and our actuarial resources. Um, in a way that they hadn't before, and so that's that's pretty exciting, and that's that's a, a strong investment um, that we're making. And you know, prior to that data warehouse, these activities would have been happening between vendors outside of our walls. And 
you know, now this is largely happening within our space. We are able to monitor um, vendor activity and involvement in a different way, and it, it just overall it gives us more direct insight and ownership. And you know, I think it's 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 that's a really important component. Kind of going back to the first thing where we're investing is is over those those models. And you know, it, it may go without saying, and and um, but but I feel like it should be pointed out in this type of discussion is is we all know that the the national healthcare delivery system is kind of at a teetering point coming off of COVID, as you said, and and all of the long-term effects that that has had. And, you know, certainly if it was easy to figure out and fix, it would have already occurred by now, but it's hard work trying to change an institution that has, you know, at this point been broken for decades. And, and, and by that comment, I'm, I'm speaking really only about the business side of healthcare. Um, certainly not about the, the the caregivers. We have, you know, the nurses, physicians, extenders, pharmacists, other caregivers are um, unbelievably committed and driven, and we all owe them a debt of gratitude. My my comments are really about the the business side of healthcare and the funding of healthcare and how that happens. And I'm getting outside of my lane, so I'll get off my soapbox. But you know, our plan has the opportunity to try and find some solutions here in in our state and. That's where our focus lies. We're we as the the North Carolina State Health Plan are the largest payer of healthcare services in the state. We've got members in all 100 counties. We we touch the vast majority of providers and facilities across the state. So um, we take that responsibility very seriously. Um, and so you know again trying to invest in payment methodologies that that makes sense um, for the long term. Got it. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fantastic discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Yeah, thanks, Laura. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I look forward to connecting down the road as well. Thanks again.